This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. So with that, we're now going to turn to the preaching of God's Word. And I will pray before we dive in. Father, I thank you that we're here once again this morning. That we're a people that have been bought and ransomed out of sin made alive by your spirit, and that we can now come together and worship you together. I ask that you would focus our hearts and our minds in this time to hear your words, that it might build up our faith, fan up our affection for you into a roaring fire. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, this is going to be the beginning of a three-week series on prayer, and we're just going to start with why we pray, just looking at what prayer is and what we even mean when we talk about this from the Bible. And as I was preparing for this message, I read a pamphlet from a a pastor by the name of J.C. Ryle. He was a pastor in England during the 19th century, and as part of his ministry, He also wrote several things, some commentaries, some were other just pamphlets and tracts on different topics. And one of those pamphlets was a tract simply called A Call to Prayer. And Ryle's hope was to invite all those in the sphere of his influence to a deep and meaningful habit of prayer. And in the opening remarks of that pamphlet, he says this, A habit of prayer is one of the surest marks of a true Christian. All the children of God on earth are alike in this respect. From the moment there is any life and reality about their religion, they pray. Just as the first signs of life in an infant when born into the world is the act of breathing, so the first act of men and women when they are born again is praying. When you read the Bible, it's easy to see how Ryle can make that claim that one of the surest marks of the true Christian is prayer. All throughout the Bible, starting in Genesis and going all the way down, we see men and women of God constantly turning to him in prayer. Abraham prayed to God. David prayed to God. Jeremiah and Isaiah prayed to God. When you get to the New Testament, you see the same thing. Jesus, who was God the Son incarnate, still constantly goes and turns to the Father in prayer. Sometimes Jesus goes off alone so that he can just pray by himself. Other times he's with others and leads them in prayer. As Paul is writing to churches all over the world, he often opened or closed his letters with an indication of what he's praying for. Oftentimes he was praying for the church he was writing to. He had concerns that he would bring before God and he'd let his readers know, here's how my prayers are directed. In the closing to 1 Thessalonians, he instructs his readers to pray without ceasing. Prayer isn't the chore of the super godly individual. It's not the exclusive responsibility of those who feel gifted at prayer. Prayer is an activity for every Christian. We see the example of God's people all throughout praying. We begin to understand that we're supposed to follow that example and pray ourselves. And then when Paul comes in and says, pray without ceasing, we get the idea that this is an instruction meant for all of us. When Jesus instructs his disciples how to pray in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he says three times to his listeners, when you pray, when you pray. 
Not if you pray, not for those who pray, but rather when you pray. It's Jesus' expectation as well that those who will follow him will be a people of prayer. Prayer is something that most Christians, hopefully the majority of Christians, know that they should be doing. And we can acknowledge the scripture calls us to pray. We can see the example set out for us by the men and women in the Bible who were faithful men and women of prayer. But for many Christians, we would probably sheepishly have to admit that our own prayer lives at times are complicated or difficult. We don't maybe feel like we we pray like we should. Or when we hear about prayer and we we hear about praying without ceasing, all it does is kind of convict us that that doesn't really describe me. My prayer life is a little bit more sporadic than that. Or when we read some of the rich prayers of God's people, we feel like, I don't... It doesn't seem to match the passion I have when I go to God in prayer. I feel a lot more awkward in my wording than those people. So we have to acknowledge that when we talk about prayer, there's so many difficulties that we face. Prayer can be a demanding thing to have a commitment to be consistent. And oftentimes we find ourselves only praying occasionally. And when great distress falls upon us, then we find time to carve out to pray but otherwise, it feels hard to set aside a time to say, this is, this is when I'll pray. Prayer can feel stiff or boring. It seems like it should be passionate and vibrant. It feels like what we see of prayer is that it, it should be something wonderful. But oftentimes when we pray, it's just this laundry list of prayer requests. It just doesn't seem passionate. It doesn't seem very alive. For some, prayer can just be challenging to begin. It seems like some Christians are prayer warriors that when they turn to God, they can easily and quickly slip into prayer, into a conversation with their creator. Whereas with some of us, when we go to prayer, it's hard to figure out where to start or when the conversation's over, how to end it. And it seems like some people are just gifted for prayer and then the rest of us just don't seem to have that same gift and we just can't quite put the words together in the same way. Prayer can be a thing that suffers when we're distracted. Maybe we can carve out the time and we can feel like I know what to pray about, but then when we actually sit down to do it, there's a thousand other things that come to our mind. There's a million other weights that are on our consciences as we figure out what we should be doing, what we should be saying. Then next thing we know, we're thinking about our day. We're thinking about the struggles we're going through. And we kind of slip out of praying through those things and rather just thinking through those things, worrying about those things, piling up anxiety about those things. And suddenly the next thing we know is we've been there for five minutes, but it hasn't really been five minutes of prayer. It's been about 20 seconds followed by four minutes and 40 seconds of rabbit trail thought. So we should acknowledge that when we approach prayer, it is oftentimes a difficult thing. We can, on one hand, acknowledge this should be a mark of the true Christian, a life of prayer. But also we can admit it's something that we struggle with. And perhaps there are some in this room that prayer has, from the first day God made them alive, been a natural and sweet thing. I'm thankful that God has gifted some of us in that way, but I know that for many in the room, prayer instead can at times be a sweet time of conversation with God and at other times a dry and rigid chore that we're trying to get through. So I want us to just look at two questions this morning as we begin 
looking at prayer for the next month. Two questions. The first is much simpler to answer, so we're going to spend most of our time looking at the second. Our first question is, what is prayer? What do we mean when we say that word or when we bring up that topic, when we read about prayer in the Bible? What is prayer? Our second question is, why do we pray? So we'll look at those two questions. Our first question, what is prayer, is much simpler to answer. Again, we we see prayer throughout the entire Bible. Both Old and New Testament records the prayers of men and women. It doesn't just tell us they pray, but often it will tell us what they prayed and give us the words of what they were saying. And so when we just look throughout our Bible, if you just survey, you can almost flip to any book in the Bible, and at some point you will see someone praying to God. Abraham prayed many different occasions to God. At one time it was praying to ask that a king would be healed, king who had been sick because of Abraham's own disobedience, but God prayed to God that that king would be healed. We see people in the Bible like Hannah. We don't know much about Hannah, but she shows up in 1 Samuel, and she prays that she might have a son that she could give to the service of the Lord. And her concern that she brought to the Lord was being able to bear a son and have children. So she brought that to God in prayer. You see, Daniel, a man who was from the Jewish people but living in land, in an exile land, going to God, and in his prayer, he's confessing the sins of an entire nation. Not just his own sins, but he's confessing the sins of Israel and asking that God might turn his anger away from Jerusalem. So Daniel goes before God on behalf of an entire people. And he didn't ask him first, can I go pray on your behalf? He, he just goes as one of those of the Jewish people and says, I can pray for my Jewish brothers and sisters. And on their behalf as well, I, I bring to God confession of our sin. If we go to the New Testament, we see Jesus going up alone, oftentimes to a secluded place after ministering to crowds so that he could pray and be with the Father. In the prayers of Jesus, we see him asking to know what the Father's will was so that he could carry it out. We see Jesus interceding on behalf of his disciples, his friends, and asking that God would be with them and make his love known to them. If we go on in the epistles, we see men like Paul and Peter praying. John, one of the apostles, prays to his readers in a letter, rather tells them of his prayer, that his readers might be well in body and soul, and just prays for the well-being of those who are receiving his letter. So when we look throughout the entire Bible, we can see examples of prayer throughout all of Scripture. And it helps us understand what is prayer, and to put it most simply, Prayer is a conversation with God. When we ask what is prayer, it is simply a conversation with God. It's really nothing more fancy or complicated than that. Prayer involves words. Prayer involves talking. Sometimes that talking is out loud, or sometimes, as in the case of Hannah, that talking is just in our hearts where we're speaking with God. Sometimes in that conversation, we ask God for things. Sometimes in that conversation, we simply cry to God. Sometimes, like Daniel, we confess our sin. Or in the conversation, we just express our thanks and we praise him for his goodness. Prayer is just most simply a conversation where we go to God and speak with him. 
It's not a, a mantra or a specific set of words said in the right order with the right inflection that we might get some, God to do some action. It's not a religious ritual just done out of habit to make God happy. Prayer is a conversation with a friend. Simply going and speaking with God. So like I said, that, that's the easiest of the two questions to answer. What is prayer? From the example we see in Scripture, it is nothing fancier than a conversation, but the one distinctive of prayer is that it is a conversation with God. So then we have to ask, why do we pray? Why is it that we would want to speak with God? Why is it that we would go and ask him things? Or why is it that we would go and confess things to him? Why do we pray? That's our second question. As I reflected on this question, it took me a lot longer to figure out the why than the what behind prayer. Because we see prayer demonstrated a lot in Scripture. And we have to sort of learn from inference all throughout why is it that we are praying. And as I went through Scripture, I came to a chapter in the Bible that absolutely just set me on fire for what my prayer life should be. It wasn't a chapter I was expecting. It was one I came to almost by accident. But then as I read it, as I went through it and reflected on it, I couldn't help but see how this would help me understand prayer better. And that chapter happens to be Exodus 3. Not a place I was expecting, but a place I have enjoyed being this week. And so if you have your Bible, open it to Exodus chapter 3. And this will be in many ways a launching point as we begin to ask the question, why do we pray? Just to give some context to this chapter. Exodus chapter 3 is at a point in the history of Israel where they are a people but they're not yet a people with a land. Specifically, this people is just a group of descendants from a man named Abraham. And all the way back in, towards the beginning of Genesis, Abraham was called out by God. God made a covenant with Abraham and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'll make you a great people. I'm going to give you a land to live in. And then we're going to have a, a special relationship. You'll be my people and I'll be your God. And the world will be blessed through this relationship. So that promise, that covenant with Abraham was made all the way back in Genesis 12. But then what happens is, is that Abraham does in fact have descendants. They begin to become a great people. But famine forces them to relocate. And they move southwest to Egypt. Because in Egypt, they're able to find food and sustenance for their households and their livestock. And everything that they had. But Exodus chapter 3 takes place over 400 years after that move. They went down to Egypt originally for a short famine, but then they stayed there. And eventually what happens is this people, who's a distinct group as the descendants of Abraham, becomes enslaved in Egypt. And they become the workforce for Pharaoh as Pharaoh builds bigger and bigger monuments to himself. And this people, this descendants of Abraham and of Jacob become the slaves upon which these monuments are built. So the people have been apart from the land they're supposed to be in for 400 years. They're now suffering at the hands of Pharaoh. 
asking that this God who had made a promise with Abraham four centuries ago might bring them out to that land that he told them about 400 years ago. So we come to Exodus chapter 3, where Moses, one of these descendants who grew up in Egypt, has had to flee Egypt because he killed someone, and he's been away for a little while. But now we see a conversation that God has with this man Moses, commissioning him to return to Egypt. And there's two statements that I, I want us to look at it should embolden your prayer life. Two statements made in Exodus 3 that when we view them together and view them in the context of prayer helps us see what it is we're doing in prayer. So we'll start in verse 7. Exodus 3, verse 7. This is God speaking to Moses, appearing as a burning bush. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. There's two statements made here. Both made by God that help us begin to understand why we pray. And I want to take the statements in the reverse order that they appear here in this passage. Statement number one we see in verse 13 and 14. Moses asks God, if I go to the people in Egypt, the Israelites, and tell them, God sent me. Remember how Abraham had a promise from God 400 years? Well, that God sent me. Whose name am I supposed to give? Which God is it? Because remember, at this time, every tribe and people group thought they had their own God. Egypt had a whole pantheon of gods that they claimed as their own. But in different places, people thought, I have a God of my neighborhood or my region. And Moses asks, which neighborhood's God is sending me down there? And God answers back and says to Moses, tell them my name is I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Statement number one, God says, I am who I am. We have to understand what this means. This means the God we pray to is the great I am. To be put another way, he's saying, I exist. I have been, I am now, and I will be. I am, I always was, and I always will be. When we ask who is the God that is sending Moses down to Egypt, it's not a particular God, it's not a regional God, it's not a neighborhood God. It's the God above all things. It's the God who needs no other reference point to explain who he is. 
When people ask me who I am, I have to give them some reference point. So maybe I'll, I'll tell them my full name. I'm Tim Sheik. Then you begin to understand maybe there's some other Sheiks out there that this guy came from. Some reference point. Or maybe if you ask who I am, I'll tell you I'm a guy that lives in Arlington Heights. You understand there's some place that I came from, that I live in, that I, that I go back to at night. I have to have some reference point to give you an idea of who I am or why I'm here. But when you ask who God is, he just gets to simply say, I am. Because before there was any other reference points, he could say, I am. Before time existed, God could say, I am. In eternity past, God could say, I am. Into an eternal future, God will be able to say, I am. Statement number one, I am who I am. Who is this God of the Bible? He's not just one of a handful of deities overseeing the world. He's the true God. He's the one who laid out every atom of the universe and then spoke it into motion and sustains it by his power every millisecond of the day. He's the one who stands above time to see the entire scope of history. He's the eternally existent creator of all things who has power and authority over all things. When we go to him in prayer, there's no higher authority we can pray to. Statement number one, who is the God? He is the I am. The second statement God makes a little earlier. Verse seven, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Statement two, I have heard my people's cry, and I will deliver them. God hears his people and is moved to act on their behalf. The God of the universe who's responsible for upholding all things, who's keeping all of creation bound together, has bent his ear toward his people. He's heard their cries in their enslavement, and because of their cries, he's now moved to deliver them. Two statements when we see them here in Exodus 3, hopefully set our prayer lives ablaze. Statement number one, who is this God? He is, I am who I am. The one God who is supreme above all others, who has created all things. And statement number two, I have heard my people's cry and I will deliver them. Prayer is a conversation with the eternal and powerful, all-powerful I am. And in that conversation, he listens intently and he responds. So why do we pray? To put it simply, we pray because we have access to the God who has created all things, has authority above all things, and he's invited us into that conversation, and he listens to us. Just a few minutes ago, the God of all creation, who stood, looked into a void, and spoke light Stars and the earth into existence. That God, just a few minutes ago, turned his attention and listened to our brother Dave as he prayed for our neighborhoods. That's what took place here just a few minutes earlier in this spot. Just think about that. When we pray in our services, that's not just some empty ritual that we do to fill time. That's not something we do because Christians just have a show of praying. That's something we do because we can have an encounter with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he listens to us. 
That's why we pray here in our service. That's why Christians pray at any point in their lives. Because we have access to this God. And he has turned and listened. So why do we pray? Pray because God is a great I am and, and he is listening. and He is responding. But I want us to look at three ways or, or three sub-reasons of how that plays out. Because when we look at prayer, what we see is that the triune God is working. Every person of the Godhead is working in our prayer. So I'm going to look at at three sub-reasons why we pray. First, we pray because God is our heavenly Father. So we saw in Exodus 3 that God says, Israel is my people. Remember, all the way back in Genesis 12, he told Abraham, your descendants are going to be my people. We're going to have a special relationship here. And we see that carried all throughout the Bible. In Exodus 3, he tells them, you're still my people. I'm listening, not just to the prayers of some random people down in Egypt, but they're my people. They're my children. The psalmist says at multiple points, God turns his ears towards the cry of his people. Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The relationship that God's people have with him is that of a father and his children. In the New Testament, as Jesus is going about his ministry... He relates prayer to, to a conversation with a father and a child. And he tells his listeners, how many of you, when your son asks for a fish or a piece of bread, are going to give him a snake instead? Likewise, when you pray and ask God, he delights to give good things to his children. Because God sees his people as his children. So we pray because God is our heavenly father. And our Father delights to hear his children's voice, and he delights to give his children good things. It can oftentimes feel like in our prayer life, God doesn't listen. Sometimes when we pray, it just feels like we're just shooting words off into the void, and as soon as we say them, it just disappears, and nothing's any different. But we know that God is a father leaning in intently, listening to his children, everything that we're asking and saying. Because he loves us. He wants to hear our voice. It can feel like when we pray that God's, he doesn't act. Maybe he hears it, but nothing ever happens because of it. We can look at all the times where it feels like we've prayed and it's just not been answered in the way we thought it would. We're going to have a whole week just to look at what happens in prayer when it feels unanswered. But what we can see from Scripture is that God not only listens, but he then does also respond. For 400 years, the children of Israel were in Egypt in slavery, crying out under the oppression of Pharaoh. And it could have felt like God was not listening or at least not inclined to respond. But he tells Moses... I've heard their cries, and because of their cries, I will deliver them. So we pray because God is our heavenly Father who delights 
to listen and respond to his children. Secondly, we pray because we have access through the blood of the Son. John 15, 14, 15, and 16, actually, Jesus tells his disciples to ask things of the Father in my name. He tells his disciples, you did not choose me, John 15, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We pray because we have access to this great I am. It's not a set aside for those who have done enough to earn some sort of status. We have access because the blood of Jesus has washed us of our sin and gives us standing as heirs before the throne of God. So when we enter into God's throne room, we don't enter in as servants. We don't enter in as just subjects that can make a request at his pleasure. We enter in as his very own righteous children because Christ has given us his righteousness. Christ has given us his status before the Father. And the good news is that we didn't earn that which means that we don't have to keep expending effort to maintain our status before God so that he'll keep listening to us. It means that we can't sin bad enough that God finally decides to hit the off switch and kick us out of the throne room. If you are bought by the blood of Christ and you place your faith in him alone, you're a child who can approach his heavenly father and he will hold you in his hand so that nothing can remove you. So oftentimes what can stop up our prayer life is feeling like, I've sinned a little bit too much recently. I'm a little too unclean to go before the Father. It'd be kind of awkward to go to God in prayer right now because I'm angry at him. I'm upset with him. Or I'm in the middle of actually sinning against him. So he probably doesn't want to hear from me right now. But Christian, you've only ever been able to go to the Father in prayer because of the blood of Jesus. And your sin has not washed that blood away. So no matter what the state of your life is right now, no matter how angry you are with God, no matter how much you feel that you have offended him and sinned against him, you can go to him and say, I am only here because of Christ's work. And he'll listen. We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to strive hard enough because it wasn't our doing or striving that got us to the throne room in the first place. So we pray because we have access through the Son into the throne room. Third, we pray because the Spirit ensures that our prayer is effective. In Romans 8, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Like I said, we see the, the, all three persons of the Trinity active in our prayer life. The Father listening, the Son providing access, and then the Spirit himself interceding for us where our own weakness doesn't know how to pray. And when we come before God, and, and, and 
We don't even know what words we should say. Or we don't know what it is we should even be praying about. The Spirit is interceding on our behalf for us. So that our concerns and our cares are still going up to the Father. When your prayers just seem feeble and weak, God the Spirit himself is interceding for you. God gives you himself to be your help in prayer. When your tongue just stammers before God, it's his spirit who himself will be your encouragement and your help in that weakness. And so we know that our prayers will be effective because even when we are weak in prayer, even when we're stumbling and failing in prayer, the spirit's working on our behalf. He's working with us. He's working to help us. He's interceding for us in ways that we can't even fully understand. The Spirit is interceding to the Father through the Son on our behalf. And at the same time, the Spirit is transforming us so that we might more clearly see what the will of the Father is. So whereas today, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to approach the Father Spirit says, today I will intercede for you. I will be your help in weakness, but also I will continue to transform you so that tomorrow you might understand a little bit more about who God is, about what his will is for your life. So it can feel like a barrier to prayer to say, I don't even know what to pray about. God is taking care of that as well. by Saying, even in the weakness of you not knowing how to approach me, My spirit is there to help you so that anyone who is made alive has a standing as a child of God. They have that access through Christ that can never be taken away. And then they have the help of the spirit that will never depart from them to be in conversation with their heavenly father. J.C. Ryle says that asking why Christians pray is like asking why humans breathe. The very life that you receive when you put your faith in Christ is a life that turns to God as a friend and delights to talk to him. So why do Christians pray? Because Christians are a people who have been made alive and reunited with God. And because we're reunited with God, we can't help but talk with him. So when you struggle to feel the delight of talking to your heavenly father, consider again who it is that you are praying to. Consider again that the God of all creation, the God who chooses a people and calls them as daughters and sons, It's a God who is above all things, has power to do all things. And that's who this conversation is with. When you you feel that your, your prayer life is maybe just stifled, remember that he is a God who then listens intently. For 400 years, Israel was in Egypt, making their requests known to God. He wasn't ignoring them. He was listening. And from that listening, he then responded. If you feel unworthy to pray, remember it was never your own worth that got you there in the first place. It was the work of Jesus Christ. 
for any who would turn in repentance and believe in his sacrificial work. You are immediately made an heir with Christ to God's kingdom, a child who can boldly approach that throne room as even the angels of heaven cannot do. When your prayer life just feels weak and feeble, rest in the encouragement that the Spirit himself is there to help you in that weakness and in that stumbling. Know that God will listen to his children, and out of his love, he will respond. Let's pray. Father, we stand in complete awe that you have chosen not only to make yourself known to your creation, but that you have decided to call out a people you would call your own to make us children, daughters and sons. We ask that you would continue to give us the vision to see your majesty, that all our prayers and requests can go to you, who has authority above all things. Help us also see your intimacy that you have leaned in close to us, that you listen to us. Praise you and we thank you for doing all of this when we didn't do anything to earn it, but ran away in opposition instead. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.